When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. The first song I wanted us to sing in our new building is my favorite hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I reserve the right to pick the first song, I suppose. And uh, that, that's a great hymn that was written by uh, a man named Robert Robinson in 1757. He was only 22 years old when he wrote that hymn. And he had been recently converted through the ministry of George Whitfield, actually, in the middle of the Great Awakening. And the first line of the second verse uh, goes like this. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. Now that's a very confusing line for many of us, but Ebenezer is a weird word. Even if you've been in church all your life, you might not know what that word means. It's, it's actually a Hebrew transliteration made up of two Hebrew words, and it means stone of hope. The word eben is the Hebrew word stone. Ezer is the Hebrew word hope. And, and it comes from another story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the Israelites have been rescued by God from the Philistines in battle, and the prophet Samuel comes, and and he sets up an altar, and he calls it an Ebenezer, because he says, 1 Samuel chapter 7, until now, the Lord has helped us. So an Ebenezer is, it's a stone of hope, It's it's a stone of remembrance, a testimony of how the Lord always delivers us when we need him to. That's what Psalm 126 is about as well. It's a psalm that remembers God's past help and asks for God's ongoing help. I selected this psalm today because it's an appropriate time as we move into this new facility to remember, to remember what God has done and to ask him to continue to restore us and help us. This is a day for us to raise our own Ebenezer. We're in this series called Songs for Summer, in which each week we're looking at a different psalm. And the psalms, as I've told you the last couple of weeks, are the emotional spinal cord of the Bible, so to speak. And for that reason, they're deeply treasured by Christians everywhere, particularly brothers and sisters who have been pilgriming as Christians for a long, long time. One of the reasons the Psalms are so great, and that I hope you're seeing as we go through this series, is because no matter what you're going through or encountering in life presently, the Psalms help us process our spiritual and emotional lives before God. And help us rest in God's love for us. 
Psalm 26 does that. It's one of what are called the songs of ascent, as you can see there in the superscription at the very front of Psalm 126. And these are songs, Psalm 120 through 134, that are sort of a mini album within the Psalter. And they were songs that were sung by the ancient Jewish people as they would travel from around Israel on foot with their families and friends and neighbors to Jerusalem for festivals and celebrations. When they would walk and journey there, they would sing these psalms. And as with many of the other psalms, some of the songs of ascents, we know who wrote them, and some are anonymous. This one is anonymous, but what we can discern as you heard it read, is that Psalm 126 is a memory turned into a prayer. It's a memory turned into a prayer. The author is remembering a past deliverance. Some think this is referring to when the Jewish exile in Babylon ended and they were sent back to their home, but we simply don't know for sure. It's a memory of a past deliverance and it's a request for present help. It's a song asking God to do again what he has done for his people over and over throughout the years. It's looking at the Ebenezer's of our lives and asking God to help us again. So as we enter this new stage of life together as a church, let's set up an Ebenezer and ask God to continue to help the people. This psalm could be easily split into two parts. First, remembering past help. And second, requesting present help. So let's look at that, okay? First, remembering past help. The psalm begins there in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Zion is another way of describing God's dwelling place or God's people even. And so the author is clearly looking back on a time when God acted powerfully to rescue and restore. And he goes on beautifully to, if you'll look in the next few verses, to describe what it felt like when God restored his people's fortunes in the past. Look at how he says it. He says, when God restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. I love that phrase. When God acted to save them, it was, it was something that was almost too good to be true, he's saying. It was as if they, they, were, they were living out a dream. How many of you have ever had a dream that was so vivid that you thought it was real? For some of us, that's a nightmare. Hopefully, it's not nightmares. Hopefully, they're good dreams. But imagine that being reversed. Imagine you're living in reality and... It's so great and so powerful and so enjoyable in the moment that it doesn't even feel real. It feels like a dream. Instead of a dream feeling like reality, reality feels like a dream. I think one of the, one of the few experiences that most of us have that I think can be like that is the experience of falling in love, right? Uh, it's a powerful time in our lives. It's a season where you're just spilling over the brim emotionally. I remember when Marianne and I were engaged or dating when we were long distance. I lived in Philadelphia and she lived in Houston and I would get on an airplane to go see her and I would just be like, so excited, so happy, so overjoyed to see her. I'm still happy and overjoyed to see you, honey. (laughs) But it's a more steady, stable excitement now. And in some ways, a deeper love. 
than it was back then. Back then it was just, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. It was like a dream. That's how it felt when God delivered them. And the author goes on. Our mouth was filled with laughter, he says. Our tongue with shouts of joy. Isn't that vivid language? Sometimes, this psalm saying, God works in our stories so powerfully and so wonderfully that it overwhelms us with joy. And when we remember that time, we can't help but smile. Let me ask you, can you remember a time in your life as a Christian where God restored you or where God delivered you or where God acted on your behalf in a similarly powerful way? A time when you were overjoyed at seeing him evidently at work. Those are healthy things for us if we're Christians to reflect on and remember. Maybe it was when you were converted. Maybe it was when God providentially altered a hard or a troubling situation you were in and rescued you. Maybe it was a moment in worship where you felt his presence so tangibly that it changed you. Maybe it was a prayer that you had offered that God very clearly answered. Maybe it was seeing him work in a relationship to make it much healthier and holier. The point is, God is a God who restores. Do you believe that? God is a God who delivers. God saves. God is at work in the world. He's at work in our lives. He is not distant. He is present. He is active. That is worth remembering. That is worth celebrating. God is real. And God cares about us. And God is for us. And when we remember it, it fills our mouths with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then lastly, the author says, when remembering God's past work, that even the nations, the surrounding people said, the Lord has done great things for them. And the psalmist continues to say in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Listen, that should be our theme verse for today. The Lord has done great things for us my friends, and we're glad. Let's remember the work he has done. Let's celebrate together God's powerful grace to us. And because of the occasion, forgive me, I'm going to get a little autobiographical here, okay? Um, Indulge me for a minute. This particular expression of the church, Christ Church San Antonio, needs to proclaim that the Lord has done great things for us. Ten years ago, literally almost to the day, Marianne and I moved here. Uh, We were brand new to San Antonio, and as Marianne is fond of saying, there were two members of the church, her and I, and she was really kind of halfway committed at the time, one and a half. She was like, I don't know if we should do this, Luke. And uh, we're brand new to the city. We're hoping and praying that God would use us to start a new church, a, a church in which the gospel would always be central where um, people who've been burned and hurt by religion could really heal and meet the real Jesus. A church where um, the resurrection of Jesus is portrayed in loving and living community with each other. A church where you could invite your skeptical or jaded friends and know that they would both be challenged and cared for. 
A church where the Bible is taken seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. A church where worship is both joyful and reverent and we refuse to go one direction or the other only. And a small group of us met and prayed and asked the question, what would it look like to be a church that believes that the gospel really can change everything? And listen, it's been a 10-year ride of community group meetings and service projects and mission trips and Bible studies and relationships being formed, hasn't it? It's been a lot of saying goodbye to people, sadly, and a lot of getting to know new people happily. It's been a lot of worship services in different places in a red-carpeted, janky Episcopalian church in a popcorn-stained, Coca-Cola-littered movie theater, at a gym, at a cafeteria, at a hotel ballroom, on a field with a bunch of masks on, kind of, maybe, for a while. Sorry for bringing that up and cueing your PTSD. And now here. And there have been ups and downs, but God has been working through the ordinary means of grace, through the Word of God and through the sacraments, through community and through evangelism, It's been the Lord. It's been the Lord behind this. So um, let's remember. If you've been with us for a while, let's look back. Let's set up an Ebenezer. But let's not do it in some sort of triumphalistic way where we think we have arrived. We're going to keep doing what we've been doing, my friends. We're going to keep relying on the Holy Spirit. We're going to keep teaching the scripture. We're going to keep discipling. We're going to keep trying to be humble and admit it when we screw up and try to improve. But let's set up an Ebenezer. Let's look back. Let's take a moment and rejoice. The Lord has done great things. We're glad. Secondly, Requesting present help, the psalm continues. After the psalmist reflects on what God has done, this is one of the things I love about this psalm. He, he moves to the present tense. Look at that, verse 4. He asks God to do it again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. That is the cry of the present. And I, I think it's important to note that the tenor here is not about chasing some past experience in a nostalgic way. Rather, the tenor is about seeking God's help and delivering power again as we face current hurts and current troubles. The world and our own sinful flesh and the enemy continue to assault us in this life and we need God's ongoing help. So remembering what he has done in the past is good and it's healthy, but it only gets us so far. What we need is a fresh work of God, a new deliverance, his ongoing care and protection. And the psalmist gives us two really powerful and provocative images to to amplify the request for present help. The first one is there in verse 4. Look at what he writes. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. That word Negev is a reference to the southern desert part of the promised land. The, the, the Negev was a parched, and still is, a parched, arid land in, in which dry riverbeds run all over the place. And, and the author then is asking for God to help 
like when rain comes and fills those dry riverbeds. We experienced this, my family, uh, often when we lived in the desert. We lived in Arizona for six years, and there are, they call them washes. There are washes everywhere in Phoenix and Tucson. Really what they are is dry riverbeds. And most years, actually about this time of year, uh, the desert enters what's called monsoon season, where you actually see some rain. It's like one month out of 12, you see some rain in the desert. And rain will come, and you begin to understand why they call those dry riverbeds washes. There are two things that are striking about it. First is how fast they fill up with water and look like a stream in the desert. And second is how sudden. The suddenness of it can and often does stun you. You can go to sleep one night and the wash is dry and wake up the next morning and there are flash floods. It's very, very quick. I want you to consider that as a picture of what the psalmist is asking God for. When we are dry, when we are parched, when we are hungering and thirsting for God's presence and provision, when we feel the depth of our need and our limits and our vulnerability, this is when we want God to restore us again, to fill us again, to suddenly and quickly deliver us. Think about your life. Where are you like a dry riverbed in the Negev? Where in your life are you hungering and thirsting? Maybe you're in a spiritual drought. You've experienced God's help in the past, but you've forgotten the joy it can bring. You've forgotten the fullness of life that God has. And you've grown dull dry. This psalm is a picture of what God asks of us if that is where we find ourselves. He asks us to cry to him, to cry to him for restoration. Another psalm, Psalm 53, puts it well. Restore to me, David writes there, the joy of my salvation. That's another reason that Ebenezer's stones of hope, stones of remembrance are helpful on our spiritual journey. They help us remember what God has done and they spur us to ask for God to do it again. One of the Christian leaders that I deeply admire is a man named Ray Ortland who pastors a church called Emmanuel in Nashville, Tennessee. And Ray is probably 75 or so years old now. And every time I've heard him speak at conferences, which is probably three or four times, he, um, he always tells a story about when he was growing up as a, a teenager and as a college student and as a young college graduate in the late 60s in Southern California and was able to participate in one, uh, one example of God bringing revival you might know it as the Jesus movement. Ortland was deeply involved in that and was a part of that and saw God do amazing things in his life and in the lives of those around him. And every time I've heard him speak, he says that he is devoting his current life to praying for that experience or an experience like it to come again. He's not searching for a past life that's better than he imagined. It's not just nostalgia. It's a hope that God would again bring restoration, that he would again bring revival. That's what the psalmist is asking. That's what I would like all of us 
as a community of faith to ask for as well. Like streams in the desert, restore us, God. The final image is found in verse 5 and 6. The psalmist shifts gears here. Look at what he writes. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The author moves from water as a stream imagery to agricultural imagery, right? Sowing seed, waiting on the harvest. And I appreciate this image so much. And it's a great example, by the way, of what I mean when I say the Psalms are the emotional spinal cord of the Bible. They present, even in this Psalm, the fullness of human experience. These verses are refreshingly honest about what life can be like as we seek to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's a sudden stream in the desert. We have mountaintop experiences where God just simply shows up and helps, don't we? But we can, we can and should remember those times, by the way. We can and should have hope that God can and will do that again. But many other times in life are like verse 5. We sow in tears. We, verse 6, go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. Many times we feel like God is absent, not present. Many times we feel sadness, not joy. We cry, we don't laugh. We lament, we don't rejoice. This life, seeking to be faithful to our callings and to do what we can to honor God and walk in faith and repentance is very often like a farmer going out and sowing seed. You know what that's like? It's mundane. It's ordinary. It's the same routine again and again. And it is waiting and waiting and waiting for results that we have no control over. That's the life of a farmer. He can scatter the seed, but he needs sunshine and he needs rain to get the harvest. That's how life can feel. Maybe it feels that way for you right now. And it has felt that way for you for a long, long time. So much so that you're even a little cynical about verses 1 through 3. Why ask God to restore my fortunes again? It's been too long. Since I've experienced a reaping of joy, all I can remember is the sowing in tears. Well, if that's you, listen to me, my friends. God is speaking directly into your soul through these verses. Within this imagery is a promise from the Lord. A reason to hope. The entire point of the psalm is that God will do it again. He will restore our fortunes. He will continue to act to redeem and restore us. The season of painful and tearful sowing, it might last a lot longer than any of us would ever wish, but it will follow with a harvest. We will bring our sheaves home with us. How can I say that? Because the harvest has already started. The final harvest. That's why the New Testament calls Jesus of Nazareth the first fruits. 
You see, Jesus has gone before us. He's already lived this psalm. He's gone out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. Think about Jesus' life. Jesus lived a perfect human life. He never sinned. He never hated his neighbor. He never thought an evil thought, and yet he was victimized. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He experienced the suffering relationships can bring, the deep pain that silence from God can bring. He even experienced the horror of murder and death, and yet God restored Jesus. He raised Jesus from death, And he promises to restore anyone who is in Jesus by faith. In fact, if you have trusted into Christ, you can be certain, certain that God will restore you again in resurrection life. You may sow tears in this life, and it's appropriate and it's right to ask him for restoration now. But even if he doesn't bring it now, the hope of this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He will bring it in the life of the world to come. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Notice the similar imagery here. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, and all of us, by the way, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, the second Adam, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also were those who were of the dust. And as is a man of heaven, so also were those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. In the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So today, let's set up an Ebenezer. Metaphorically speaking, that'd be pretty messy in this nice, clean, new building. Let's remember God's work. Let's remember his help in the past. And let's trust together that he'll do it again. Even if we're sowing in tears right now. Because he's already done it. In Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit.